Well, good, good morning. This thing is huge. It's awesome. There's all my notes. I got them. I got them. Don't get up. It's okay. I got it. It's all right. That's good. Glad y'all are here. Seriously, this is the largest conductor podium thing I think I've ever seen in my life. We could put a family of four on top of it. Um, it'd have to be small, but we could do it, I believe. Um, so, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. A lot of guys are sitting there going, thanks, man, that's weird. My father actually texted me this morning and said, happy Mother's Day to me. I, I don't know. I had no response. I just wrote you, you two. Please don't ever do that again. And so, you know, like I had no idea what to do, but to, to all of the mothers out there, to all of the mothers in the future, all that sort of thing, I just want to go ahead and behalf on, on men and boys and sons. We just want to apologize. Um, so we're sorry uh, for whatever it was, is the thing you had that's broken now, we apologize for that. Um, it, we, we've probably broken it before, but we glued it and we've broken it yet again. Um, so that's just kind of how we are. Um, I was trying to think about like, okay, I, what I wanted to share was like the best story about my mom possible that I could come up with. You know, if you get the chance to have a microphone on Mother's Day, you got to do something good, right? I mean, that's just how it is. And so, um, so I've got, I've got one, I got two, but I don't know how many I can share. So the, so my mom was the um, elementary school principal of where I went to school. All right, so um, that was horrible uh, and good at the same time. It was good because I knew I could get away with a couple of things every now and again. I'm a bit mischievous. Um, and then it was bad because often she would come down the stairs in the hall and there was Nick sitting in the hall with his desk doing his work away from the class because I talk a lot. Um, and so it was just one of those things where uh, I remember being moved in first grade. The teacher moves your desk, you know. It's terrible. And so Miss Gold, sweetest woman I've, I've met in a long time. She's just a great woman. And she, she, uh, she was like, now, Nick, you're, you're talking too much in class. And I was like, yes, ma'am. And so she had already asked me to, I don't know, how many of you had to write sentences in school? I will not talk in class. Thank you, my friends. And so uh, what about numbers? When you were little, did you ever have to write numbers? I'm old, so we had to write numbers. And so uh, you, if you were in first grade, you had to write to like 100 or 200. You had to just write zero, one, two, three, four, until you got to 100. It was, it was interesting. And so, um, so one day, Miss Gold was yelling at me. She was fussing. She said, uh, oh, Nick, you've talked too much in class. You're going to have to write to 100. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I went in my backpack and I pulled out, I had written it the night before. There you go. I got to write 200 that day. It was great. And so, um, so Miss Gold had already been fed up with me. And this is, I'm, I'm five, six years old. <laughs> I'm evil. And so, so she takes me, she puts my desk out in the hall. And, uh, and my mom comes down the stairs and she just goes, you wait till we get home. <laughs> and I'm like, because I'm going to get beat at school and I end at home, you know, like that's how it is. But I love my mom. She just, she was just awesome. She's, she's amazing. She is uh, up in Greenville right now. So, but she, uh, she's a pretty cool person. Um, she kicks my tail at a lot of things. Uh, we went to play golf, which Ricky, if he's here, I don't know if he's here, but he'll tell you I'm a terrible golfer. I've actually hit a ball behind me with a driver. 
Let me know if you can do that. And so <laughs> that's an amazing thing. Um, and, uh, but we went to go play the little par three. She worked me up and down, you know, and uh, I mean, I just, I, I think I hit like a hundred and something on a par three court. I'm terrible. I'm just, it's easier for me to pick it up and throw it and take a penalty. Um, but it's just kind of how it is. But uh, she's just an awesome person. We, um, we were on a, a, a cruise together. My, my parents divorced when I was around 12. And so my mom and I used to always, you know, single boy. You know, I didn't have any brothers or sisters. And so my, my mom, you know, with her only son, we're going to take cruises in the summer. So that's what we did. And, and uh, she would, um, she'd save up her money in quarters and coins and stuff. And, and then every summer or every other summer or something like that, when she had enough, we'd go take cruise. And it was just something fun for me and my mom to do. And, and we went on this Mexican party boat. You didn't think you'd hear that in church today, did you? And, um, and, uh, and she won the, uh, what's the contest where you try to, the limbo contest. She won the limbo. My mom is the champion of the Mexican Fiesta party boat, which is actually party, party boat. So I don't understand that. But, that's, but she won that. Um, so tell your friends. Um, anyway, we're in Hebrews 4 today. I am thankful that moms are here and with us and have helped us get all the way through this life. Hebrews 4, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I'm pretty sure I bit off a bit more than I could chew on this one. Um, it's, it's really thick. And so I was like, all right, let's see what we can do. So we're going to do what we can, and we'll see where we get. Um, but you know it's bad when a guy that used to teach Bible brings multiple pages of notes, that's not good. Um, so we're gonna see what happens. I don't really like notes very much. I actually just prefer to preach from the Bible. Um, but anyway, Hebrews chapter four, uh, I think Michael may have that up there, I don't know. Was it, yeah, look at that, you're awesome. Um, so chapter four, we're gonna read a little bit in that. So verse one, it says, uh, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, and as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. So let's pray over that real quick and uh, see what the Lord does today. So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the fact that we have it, that we can read it, that we can possess it and hold it. And we know that people in other countries are actually dying to get pieces of it. And so God, it is precious to us. Um, and so Lord, we, we thank you that we have access to it. We thank you that you choose to reveal it and give it and, and allow us to hear it. And so, God, we, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you, of course, for our, our mothers, for our fathers, for our families uh, that have invested so much in, in, in us. And, and for those of us that haven't had the best relationships growing up, God, for our friends and for those who have concerned themselves with us, uh, we thank you for their investment. God, we, uh, we pray today that you would speak, that you would be heard, that, we, that I would get out of the way. No one cares what I say anyway, uh, God, but that you would be heard today. You have the words of life. Um, I'm just a guy. And so, God, we pray that you would speak. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so chapter 4 starts with therefore. 
anytime, and, and, and this is horrible, and I think I've said it before, but anytime you come to therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? Uh, that's just the dorkiest thing I'll say all day, but that's, that'll get you in your head. What does it mean? Bible scholars would say context is important. Context is important. So therefore, meaning it came from something. Uh, you don't start normally in the middle of conversations. Uh, that doesn't normally how it works. I don't call Hayden up and Hayden goes, hey, hey Nick, and I'd go, and that's why we had to get your uncle off the roof. And then he'd be like, what, what the heck are you talking about? We don't start in the middle of conversations. By the way, I've never known his uncle or if he has an uncle or if he's been on a roof, but there you go. So therefore, meaning chapter three context, chapter two context, chapter one context, we have to understand the whole thing is written. You know, we get our, our chapters, our verses in here, but they weren't in the original. So this is just a straight letter. Uh, Hebrews is actually known as a sermonic letter. So it's like a sermon. Um, and of course, it's very Jewish in nature, which the title would suggest. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, I want you to note that it says while and still. What are those things alluding to? Time. Time, right? There, time. There's a time limit on things. You know, that's one of those things about advertising and sales, right? Get this while it still lasts, right? It's that motivation. It pushes you. You need to buy this quick before it goes away. Get it now. Right, that sort of thing. And it's, it's this idea of pushing you to do something. Why? Because there's urgency in it. So while there is still time, um, and, and we of course know what that means. We, it's not a big kind of huge thing for us. We understand that we die at some point. That's just how that works. Breath goes out of our lungs, heart stops beating, you die. We all die. You know, because of man's sin in, in the garden in Genesis 3, we know that we all die. So because of that, you are limited in a certain amount of time. Maybe it's 17 years, maybe it's five years, maybe it's 95 years, but we all have a certain amount of time. Scripture, of course, I think John mentioned it last week. We're a mist, we're a vapor. Pretty, pretty quick here in terms of how God views eternity and how we view 77 years. Not very long. Um, if you talk to the older people, younger people, they'll always tell you the what? It goes by so fast, you know? And you've probably even had people come up to you and say, man, I remember when you were, you know, that sort of thing. I always hated that. Now I find myself doing it. You're just like, good gosh. I showed Brandy a photo of a guy last night who played football for Clemson. He's like 6'6", 280, wife, she's pregnant, boy, about this big. I babysat that dude, like when he was when he was three. You know, like that's crazy. I taught high school. I have kids that are married, have kids now. Um, that'll get you. Uh, so it's a uh, it's nuts, man. How fast it goes, it really does. But you think about that, how quick your time has gone. Uh, now if you're a child, you're sitting there going, "I just want to be 15 so I can drive. I just want to be 16. I just want to be 18 so I can get out of the house." My mom's crazy. You know, okay probably true Mother's Day. Anyway, but it's one of those things that you have to think about like in terms of, think about the time that has passed. Are you happy with what you've done so far? Did you see how quick that went? You know, it's one of those things. While the promise of entering his rest still stands. Now whose rest? God's rest. Does God rest would be the question. We kind of read about it already, right? Genesis 2 uh, would tell us that God does in fact rest. Um, so let's, let's look at that for a second. Genesis 2, um, verses 1 through 3, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. 
want you to hear that, finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So why does God rest? Surely an omnipotent, all-powerful meaning. God does not need to rest. He does not. So why does he rest? He rests to model it for us. Um, He's going to model that. This is how it should be. This is the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Rest on this day. You know, this is what it looks like to rest. But at the same time, is is there joy that comes from rest? Absolutely. And God is all about joy. So think about it like this. Um, Can you work and rest at the same time? I think you can. Um, We go to Edisto every summer. uh, And and Brandy and I like to, in the evenings, we like to walk uh, the beach and just, you know, walk the beach, basically. There's some times where we act like dorks and we like pretend like the water's lava and you run away from it. Um, but that's what I do. And so 36 years old. Uh, and so, but it's one of those things to where I, I do that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a dork. And so, but it's, um, I am walking, I am expending energy. I am using my muscles. Um, but am I actually tired from that? No, not really. Uh, I'm actually getting great joy in that. Actually, this is restful to me. Even though I'm physically doing something, when I go surfing, There's a lot of work in that, but it is restful. It is a joy to do. You know, when you think about work in the garden in in, in chapters 1 and 2, when God created man and told him to work the ground, he did that prior to the fall, which means that work is something that is good, designed by God, and meant to bring us about joy. And so there are things that we do for work that we actually consider joyful. I'm sure maybe a, a father who's putting together a swing set for his children uh, after he's very angry at the instructions, sometimes letting some words slip, <laughs> hitting his hand with a hammer, throwing things, that sort of thing. But once it's done, he goes, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. Um, but it's just one of those things to where he has joy in doing it. It's not the joy from that. It's the joy because of it. So it's a good thing. Um, I do say that as kind of an incomplete analogy, but it is, it's what I got. So it says, let... It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, this is verse 1, let us fear. Now, your Bible may render that differently. The CSB um, says, um, let us, what does it say? I've got it written down somewhere. There it is. The CSB says, because, so we have to be careful and then, or be aware. And then the NIV says, be careful. Both of those are wrong, um, just so you know. So, Nick, are you telling me my Bible's wrong? I'm telling you that word could have been translated better. Um, it really could have. Uh, and if you look in the Greek, you'd see that. It, it, it really could. That's why I like the ESV. You can pick whatever you want to. If you like KJV, that's fine. King Jimmy's okay. But it's just one of those things to where I, I would just say it's not necessarily, how about this? It's not wrong. It could be better. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a basketball coach used to always say, uh, the, the player would disagree with him. He'd say, now I'm not always right, but I'm never wrong. You know, and the boy would be like, what? Sit down. Just sit down. And so, but it's one of those things to where really the idea is uh, um, it comes from uh, phobeo, phobio, however you want to say it. Um, but it's the idea where we get phobia from, fear, right? Uh, and so it's very important. I don't, think, I don't think you read the word fear and say, hey, be aware of the poison that's underneath the sink. Hey, be careful with the poison. No, be afraid, of this. And I, and I really do think that fear is proper here because it is, what is he talking about? He's talking about going to heaven or going to hell. 
That's not something that you should be aware of. That's not something you should be careful with. That's something you should be afraid of. That's the main point. It's kind of the base, right? It talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in another part in Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Why is that? Why is it the beginning? Because that's foundational. Once you have that taken care of, everything else is easy. So what are you doing with Christ? And then once you've decided that, everything else changes and isn't that big of a decision. Think about it like when you get married. Um, what's a bigger decision? Do you want to marry this guy or where do you want to eat tonight? Okay. One has year-long implications, years-long, de decades-long implications, and the other has maybe a day-long, maybe two days, depending on the food. Implications, some of you got that. But that's the idea, right? It's, it's the idea of there's big decisions and there's small decisions. If I want to marry Brandy, that's one choice. That's my wife. If I want to go out to eat with Brandy, that is a small decision. Okay, so all of our decisions compared to the eternal decision is a small decision, you know. So once you decide what am I doing with Christ, everything else is easy. What am I doing with my kids? What am I doing with my job? What am I doing whatever? See, because there's a, the Christian in his head or her head says, you know what? I already know where my eternity is. So any other decision is not that big. You know, I could lose my house. I could lose my job. I could lose my family. But guess what? I can't lose Christ, right? Because that's to say I'm stronger than God, which we are not. So it's this idea of let us fear. Why? Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, this idea of failed to reach it kind of comes from this Israel thing. And I want you to hold that in your head just a little bit. Um, this idea of, you know, it's, it's like I said, this book is called Hebrews. It's very, very, very Jewish in a sense. Uh, and it talks about this entering his promise, which is covenant language, entering his rest, which is Genesis language, and then talking about reaching it, which is real more like promised land, Exodus language, okay? Because they were trying to get somewhere and going somewhere. Um, if we look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 11, He's quoting Psalm 95 and a couple of others. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my work for 40 years. Verse nine, who is he speaking about specifically? Who's showing the work of God in Exodus? Anybody? Anybody? Who's showing the work of God in Exodus? Anybody? Moses, good, Robert got it. He gets the A. Um, so Robert, Robert's got it right. Moses is doing it. He's showing the work of God. Who's doing the work? God is doing the work. Moses is showing the work. Those are two different things. It's one thing to say, like, if, if Danny and I were putting together a swing set. Yep, that's right. And so Danny and I were putting together a swing set. Danny's over there. It's like construction. You know, you talk about there's three guys standing around, one guy doing the work. So Danny's building the thing, and I'm going, look what Danny's doing. Or I'm probably kind of a jerk, so I'd say, look what we did, you know, but Danny's over there throwing things at me. But it's one of those kind of things to where you see this idea of who's doing the work God is, who's showing the work Moses is. In verse 9 in chapter 3, it says, and saw my work for 40 years. The people saw the work. And I used to think about that all the time. It used to upset me with Old Testament people. You know, think about the Old Testament, man. They saw fire come down from heaven. I mean, they saw sea split in half. That's crazy, 
right? That's nuts. Can you imagine you're just walking out there on the ocean all of a sudden, and you're like, what the heck is that? You know, like, that's amazing. They had this, this cloud of fire, this cloud of smoke. They had all the plagues, you know, that happened. You got frogs falling from the sky. People are freaking out. All these kind of things going on, and yet they still, they get to this thing, and they go, you know what? I just don't believe God. Let's make a golden calf. And you want to look at them and go, stupid, why? You know, like, what's wrong with you? And then I think about myself and I think about, I have the written whole word of God here accessible to me. I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me who is God himself, not traveling in a tabernacle, not living in a temple, but literally living within me. And yet there are times where I do not believe him. And and you're like, what in the world? Why do you not believe that he is all satisfying? Why do you not believe that he will take care of you? You know, he tells us he, we're more precious than sparrows. Like, why do you not believe these things? You have the written word of God. They would have killed for the New Testament, you know? And you're sitting there going, well, I have it. I can read it if I want to. And, and uh, I just don't know if I really believe it. So it's interesting. We see, so if we go to, uh, go to Acts chapter 7, Michael, I think you might have that one up there. Acts chapter 7, 35 through 41. It says, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. And it goes on a little bit further, but you, you see this idea. Let's see. Let me do a little further. 39. Our fathers refused to obey him, but, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for, the Moses, uh, as for this Moses who led us out of the hand of Egypt, we do not know what has become with him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice, and I want you to see this, to the idol and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. The work of their hands, not the work of God's hands, the work of their hands. They're rejoicing at what they did. And what they did is they created an idol for destruction of themselves. And so we see this idea of, let's let's just ask the question real quick. How many Israelites... Uh, turned the water to blood? Okay, zero. Okay, how many Israelites would you say um, uh, assisted the angel of death? Uh, None. How many made the the sea split? Zero. How many brought manna from heaven? Zero. They they didn't do any of that. And this God who's gotten them through, uh, now it's our work. Let's do our work. Yeah, you've done a good job, big guy, but we'll take it from here, all right? So we see this idea of why are they working, and it's because they missed it. Read further, it says, verse 2, chapter 4, Hebrews, For good news came to us just as to them. It came to Gentiles, came to Christians, came to Jews that would become Christians, just as to them who were in the wilderness. But the message they heard, and keep in mind Romans 10 when you see stuff like that, uh, faith comes through hearing. They did not, it did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by Christ with those who listened. That's a huge verse. We could do a whole sermon on just this verse uh, for multiple days. 
But you think about it, it says, verse 1, let, let us fear, lest any of you should, should have seemed to fail to reach it. Reach what? Reach the promised land, which is where God dwells in rest with his people. That's the promised land. And then verse 2 starts with four. Four good news came to them just as to, came to us just as to them. So he's saying there, look at this. He's saying, don't miss it. Because these Old Testament guys, these, these Israelites that were coming out of Egypt, they saw Moses and they, they had him do miracles and stuff like that. But we actually have, and Hebrews will beat this over the head with you, Jesus is the greater Moses, right? It's, it's called typology. So Moses is a type of the one who is to come. And so this idea of Jesus is the greater Moses you know, and, 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 I, and we've talked about this maybe before. Exodus is the gospel, straightforward, right? People in slavery, captivity, led out by a mediating uh, prophet who would then take them to a promised land. And the gospel, of course, would be people uh, entrapped in death and sin and slavery to sin, led out by a mediator, Jesus Christ, and taken to a promised land, heaven, eternity with Christ. So we know Exodus is the gospel. So we see that lived out uh, as, as we go along. But it's this idea of... I mean, think about that, man. Like today or even other days that you've been in church, there's been how many of you, I mean, can you count the number of days that you actually heard the gospel before you actually came to Christ? You know, I grew up in the church, but it wasn't until I was 13. You know, how many times do you think I heard the gospel preached? Thousands and thousands and thousands because my mom was, did the piano in the church. I was there every time, time doors were open, right? So it's one of those things to where I had to be there. I heard it all the time, you know, but at the same time, it didn't click until I was 13. So it's showing us, I mean, think about it, even in the gospels where Jesus is, is talking to people and he's, he's getting into that whole eat my flesh, drink my blood thing and it freaks people out and they run away. And then he looks at them and he says, are you guys gonna go too? And they say, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Why is it that some could recognize that he is in fact speaking the words of eternal life and some are not? That's interesting. They're hearing it, but it's not clicking for them. And, and what do we see here? Verse, verse uh, two, they heard, but it did not benefit them. There's some people that will hear this word today. There's some people that's heard words in the past and it just isn't gonna benefit you. It's not gonna do anything for you. Because why? Because they were not united by faith. And we know that Romans 10 tells us that faith comes through hearing. They were not united by faith with those who listened. You think about in scripture where it talks about eyes to see and ears to hear. So we see this idea of the good news, the gospel. What is the good news? The good news is that rescue is coming. You think about it in Exodus. God looks down and he, he hears his people's prayers. And he says, that's enough, I'm coming. You know? And it's the same with us today that we sit there, we see the things of this world and we say, Maranatha, right? Come quickly, Lord. And, and, and we ask, come please. And then it's this idea of the benefit, receiving this benefit. Both of them heard it, but only one receives the benefit, which means that there are some that do and some that don't. It's like, it's like this golf class I took at Charleston. So I took a golf class and now you're thinking he hit a ball behind him and took a golf class? Yes. Um, but it's one of those things to where every day, it was a really difficult, tough class. Uh, I would go to the, um, 
the basketball center area. I don't know where it's called Buckdome. And so I would go in there, and they would say, all right, let's go to the field. And we'd go to the practice field, and we'd hit golf balls, and that was class. Um, it was an awesome class. And so if you're looking for a one-credit course, take that. Um, but it's, it's one of those things. I, I, I took that, and, and there was no A through F range. It was pass-fail, which I basically think was did you show up or not. Um, you know, so um, if you have breath, you pass. If you don't have breath, you fail. That's how that works. But it's just one of those deals to where I went out there. And, and, and I used to, it just frustrated me because it was this idea of, well, when I hear the gospel, when I hear the good news, I can set that aside. No, it's pass fail. You have to pick a team. You have to, pick a de- you have to make a decision. You have to pick either you pass or you fail. But you, there isn't a middle ground. There's not a you're an average person. This is just an eternal question that has to have a decision. Could you imagine, men, if you got to your knee and pulled out the ring and looked up at the girl and said, will you marry me? And she said, maybe. And then never gave you an answer. (laughs) And then you died. Were you married? No, you weren't. There's your decision. A no answer is a no answer, (laughs) right? That's just how it is. And so, but it's one of those things to where here's the gospel. I want to tell you that we grew up, that we were born, that we have existed in sin that leads to death. Scripture tells us this very clearly. And God, in his great love for us, not to condemn us, but to save us, sent Christ to the earth to live a sinless, perfect life for us and die on a cross for our sin, absorbing the wrath of God, not throwing it away, but satisfying it. In Isaiah 53, we can read about that. And he's offering you, after his resurrection, offering you eternal life with him. Would you like that? That's what he's asking. I mean, Revelation 3.20, right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's asking, what do you think of Jesus? What do you think of his great love for you? What do you think of where you are right now? What do you think of the gospel? And if you're sitting there going, I don't know, then you're not married. You know? and, and, and that's how that works out. There is a decision that is being made. Um, so we see that. But think about this, like why, why is there no benefit for these people? Because they were not united by faith. You know, in, in, in Romans 3, um, 25, 23 through 25, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, look at that, to be received by faith. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These people heard the gospel and had no faith in Jesus Christ. And so they were not benefited by hearing the gospel. That's the only way you get benefit of Christ is if you actually put your faith in Christ. Matter of fact, it says that you are justified by that, which is declared legally in right standing with God, right? You are, you are completely innocent and free with Christ. How? By faith in his work, not in our work, his work, not ours. So let me ask this question. How many We talked about Israelites earlier. How many Gentiles died for the sins of the world? Zero. 
How many Gentiles rose from the grave? Zero. How many of us achieved our own salvation? Zero. So why are we working? You didn't do anything. The Israelites didn't do anything, and yet what did they do? They created false gods out of their own hands. And yet we didn't do anything. We just placed our faith in Jesus. He did his work. We placed our faith in it. So why are we keep working for our salvation? No, we should rest in our salvation. You know, John's been talking about this sermon series on confession, which is basically the idea of praying the Bible in a sense. Uh, if you've ever read the book, uh, Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney, I, I suggest you should. It's very small and it will teach you exactly what John is talking about, um, which is the idea of just confessing who God is over your situation, over your life. You know, and the idea there is to say, okay, well, Lord, um, I don't have this, but you do. I may not be here uh, able to do this, but you can, right? And, and so it's confessing who he is. You're the creator. You're the God. You're, you're, you have cattle on a thousand hills. You're the prince of peace. You're the, you know, all these different titles and things and attributes that we know of God, communicable and incommunicable. And at the same time, we confess those to him. And we also say what about ourselves? That we are not these things. And so the confession of these, the, these ideas, now, now what I'm saying is this, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll start to wrap it up. What I'm saying is this, we don't have to work for our salvation. Christ has accomplished this work, okay? We place our faith in his work. But we, that doesn't mean that you can just live in sin, right? I mean, Paul tells us very clearly, should we keep on sinning so that grace can increase? By no means, we shouldn't do that. You know, oh, well, Nick, all I have to do is rest. I don't have to, I don't have to grow in the Lord or, or work or anything like that. No, you're told to be perfect. We're told to grow in the Lord. We're told to work out our faith and fear and trembling. But at the same time, God is the one that does the work. He is the one that actually sanctifies us, makes us more like Christ. And we are the people who benefit from that because we place our faith in who he is and what he does. Christ has achieved our salvation. And so as we go down a little bit further, it says this idea of four, uh, verse, verse three, for we who believed entered that rest. As he had said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, and I, we're not gonna get into this today, but note that the, day six has a sunrise and sunset and day seven does not. Um, okay. Um, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in a way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So the idea of being in the rest of God is this idea of dwelling with God. Think about it in Eden prior to the fall. You know, what was life like? Was mankind working at that time? Yes, but they were living in rest. Why? Because they were dwelling with God. And so we have to see this idea of, are we going to be in uh, someone who dwells with God or are we gonna try to make our own thing, build our own stuff? So we see this idea of, he says, they shall not enter my, my rest. And he talks about in verse, in verse three, as I swore in my wrath. Now we know this already probably, but why, what has happened to the wrath of God? There's, there's an old hymn that sings about that. The wrath of God is satisfied as well, right? Satisfied on what? On Christ on the cross, not on us who believe, who put faith. But for those who do not believe, then there is still the wrath of your sins to bear. 
we're all going to stand before the judge one day, and that's just how it's going to work. You know, and it, it's one of those things where, again, we go back to the beginning of it. We should fear. We should understand. What do we have? I mean, God is omniscient. He knows all things. Everything is in before light in front of him. So we have to know where we are in him. And that's kind of a big question today. And Robert, you can go ahead and come on up, man. And I do appreciate, guys, and, and, and do tell Robert and the band uh, and everybody that plays, thank you so much for what they're doing. Um, you know, we have, we have a, a lot of people that, that, that help at Summit that a lot of times don't get appreciated. So do make sure, and we, we can't pay anybody, you know. So, um, but it's just one of those things to where if you see them, do tell them thank you for what they do. Um, so... Basically, I'm, I'm going to do this like this, chapter 4, verse 6 and following. And just listen to this. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Think about the people in Israel that died before they saw the promised land because they didn't believe God. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For as Joshua had given the rest, uh, them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So we see this idea, it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest, verse 11, that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, so no, no one in all creation, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We must give account. And it says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed. Think about Genesis 3, right? To the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, they tried to sew together fig leaves and it didn't work. It couldn't cover their sin. God actually made them clothes out of animal skin and later he would clothe us in righteousness. And it's the righteousness that he earned, not that we did anything for. So in verse seven, it says again, as he appoints a certain day today through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, the question that I wanna ask is, do you hear his voice today? Might not be from me, might be from his word. Some of the best times I've ever encountered God was when somebody was preaching and I was reading a different passage. That's fine. But it's one of those things to where I want to ask, have you heard the voice of the Lord today? Are you listening for the voice of the Lord? What's he saying? Guys, I, I got to tell you, the reason that I know this is so rich and, and so much, we didn't cover hardly anything today, is because you study it. And so I want to ask that question. Are you, are you actually studying the scriptures? Are you loving them for what they are? They say so much. I mean, you can, you can write so much about 
just little things. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, you have a degree in blah, blah, blah. No, just read it and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, right? Secondly, it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so the question comes to us who are Christians, are you still working for your salvation? Do you not believe that he has it? Do you worry about, well, I just don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I, maybe I do, maybe I don't, maybe I'm saved. First John says, he, he writes these things so that you may know you have eternal life. You know, you think about it again, like marriage, it's not something to where you go, well, I, maybe I'm married, maybe I'm not. No, you know whether or not you're married, you know, and if not, your spouse will tell you, but it's one of those things to where why are we working for something that God freely gives? We just say, well, I'm just not good enough. You know, that's probably my biggest sin. If you wanna know like what's Nick's thing, Nick's thing is the fact that he doesn't think that he's qualified, you know, um, to do, well, anything really. So, but it's one of those things to where I just know who Christ is and I know I can be confident because he's qualified me. Um, and that's what I have to rest in because if I keep trying to work something, it will fail. Um, I have a job where I work with people and the, and the times where I've tried to do stuff, that has gone really badly. Um, but the times where I rest in who God is, it's gone really well. And so it's just one of those things to where we have to think about that. Some of you are trying to work to have a better family or work to be a better husband or, or, or wife. Why don't you just rest in who God is and, and seek him, you know, just seek his words, seek his love for your family, pray for them, ask for God to comfort you and to show you and grow you in these things. And, and he will, but you have to be faithful to them and, and be obedient to it. You know, it's like a workout regimen. You go one day, it hurts, but you didn't really do anything. You know, continue on and you will see growth. Verse 11, it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You know, we have to strive to enter the rest. Now that's not working. That's the idea of continually putting our faith in Christ. So when Satan tempts you, you say, no, I have faith in Christ. When you're tempted by something, you go, no, he is my all satisfying treasure. When you're tempted by your flesh, by yourself, you know, he is sufficient. He is all I need. I'm gonna rest in that, striving to believe, asking him to help your own belief so that no one will fall by the same sort of disobedience. So the question of this today is, what is keeping you from the rest that is in Christ? What's holding you back? What's preventing that? Why are you not coming to faith in Christ? You're not gonna find anybody else that loves you more. You're not gonna find anybody else who's gonna have more peace and grace with you. You're not gonna find anybody else who sacrificed as much, even as much as moms have today you're not gonna find anybody else 
you're not gonna be able to do anything else. It's just chasing after the wind in a sense, right? And so we just have to find our satisfaction in Christ. So I wanna ask the question, do you hear his voice? Are you still working for salvation? But mainly what is keeping you? What is it that is keeping you from the rest that is found in Jesus Christ? I think a lot of us maybe think we have to do stuff. Let me get right with him. Let me fix it. I think that's because of an, of an incorrect understanding of who God is. If a father loves his children, then no matter what they do, he loves his children. That's how that works. It's unconditional. He, the, the child can do something crazy, can end up in jail, can do something violent, can do something where they're just they're out partying or getting drunk or whatever, I don't know. Just something the parents don't like. But I used to tell my students all the time, man, you're going to do a lot of things that I completely and utterly disagree with. I am very much against uh, at the same time, you think I love you any less? Of course not. Why? This is unconditional love. You know, that's the kind of love you have. You don't have to mess something up with your father, your heavenly father, and then go to him and say, you know, dad, I just wanted to talk real quick. I need to apologize for what I've done. And, you know, that sort of thing. That's fine. But does your dad love you any less before that? No. Do you see the prodigal son run up to his father and say, look, I just wanted to have a couple of minute conversation with you and just talk a little bit about the things I've done. I know, I know it hasn't really gone well. I've spent all that money. I lived like this. I, I'm really sorry about that. Do you think we can still have some kind of relationship here? No, before he even gets to talk. I mean, the father sees him from way off. He's looking for him and he runs up to him and grabs him and hugs and says, let's throw a party. Why? Because my son has returned. He doesn't say, now list your apology. Tell me why I should take you back. Prove to me that you're worth my love. Earn something so that I can reciprocate. He doesn't do that. He hugs him. He loves him. He takes him back into the family, you know? So the non-Christian says, well, I've done too much. I can't be loved. And this father opens his arms and says, yes, you can. And the Christian says, oh, I messed this up. I need to get it right before I go to church on Sunday. And God says, you can't mess this up because I'm the one that builds this relationship. You don't, you rest in this relationship. You know, kids never worry about, or they shouldn't ever worry about where certain things are coming from because Mom and dad are taking care of that. You know, ideally that's how it works. And some of us didn't have that, I know, but our God takes care of that. He is a good father and he loves his children no matter what you do. You know, if you place your faith and believe in him, do you do believe he's a good father? Do you love him for what he's done? And if not, what's holding you back? So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for mothers around the world. Thank you for our families that we have, but more so thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we stand upon his word. Thank you that we are able to be loved by you. God, that you've made a way through Jesus Christ on the cross that you saw fit to come down and to save us. God, that every other religion in the world says work to earn your salvation. 
Islam says, pray five times a day, face east, travel to Mecca, do these things and you might get it. Hinduism has 330 million gods, pick one. They might be the way. Now, but Christianity, but Christ, he says, I'm gonna do this for you because I love you. I'm gonna do this in spite of your actions. And so God, we, we know that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and we are thankful for that, God. So I just pray today that people that don't know you would come to know you, that, that people that, that are, think they're far from you would just be drawn near to you, that they would see you lifted up and glorious. And God, that your word would go forth and it would pierce people's hearts and that they would receive salvation, that they would receive the spirit so that they could be with you forever. And we thank you for these people that are here today and for, for the day that you've given us and the breath in our lungs. It's in your name we pray, amen.